Good morning, everyone, and um, welcome to our last day of the week of Men's Health Week. Um, it's been a really interesting week. We've had some fascinating conversations, and I'm delighted to bring um, today's guest to you. So um, by introduction, our guest today is Lockie Samuel. Um, I've been following Lockie's work on um, LinkedIn for a while now, and that's really how we connected was in that way. Um, so I guess to give a bit of background on what you do and why I found you. So years ago, my uh, ex-partner now um, was working in the FIFO environment. So flying in, flying out from various mines over the years, he worked in a few different ones. Um, and I think, you know, his experience as a manager in that space was certainly that mental health was, you know, something that was a responsibility and was, you know, an experience and a problem. Um, and sadly, he, you know, experienced um, some of the, the consequences of, you know, what can, what poor mental health can lead to in that mining environment. It's a tough, tough environment, I think. Um, so I was fascinated to see the work you're doing, Lockie. And uh, oh, really, yeah, it's great. And I'm just so pleased that there's someone you know, that you guys at FIFO Happiness are dedicating yourselves to the role of creating awareness of mental health in that environment. So I wondered if you could start with sharing um, a bit of your story and how you went from, you know, being a guy, uh, I think you were a driller, was that right? You were a driller? No, I was a scaffolder. So there, there was two options for you to choose from as a Kiwi coming over <laughs> to Australia. It was driller and scaffolder. <laughs> I picked the wrong one. <laughs> so you started out as a scaffolder in a mine and um, tell us about your journey. Yeah, so I, I ran away from NZ when I was about 19. So like, very, very honestly, I got caught out cheating on my partner with my best friend's partner. And so the person I was then, um, an addict and, you know, someone who's deeply ashamed of his behavior and the way that he was showing up but didn't understand it I wasn't someone who ever took responsibility I was I guess what you'd call a quote-unquote narcissist manipulator and so instead of take responsibility for that I um, avoided my friends group avoided my partner and run away to Kalgoorlie of all places because I had mm. a, a big brother working in Kalgoorlie so 600 k's away from Perth uh, I remember flying over that red dirt into cow and having a mini breakdown on the plane going, what have I done? Like, what am I doing here? This isn't where I'm supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. And um, it's a tough landing. place, Kalgoorlie. I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's raw, isn't it? It's very raw. Yeah. After landing, I remember getting off the plane and we went and um, picked my brother up straight away from the pub and he'd, just been on a bender after a night shift and that was like my first introduction to Kalgoorlie and mining life was seeing all the guys I'd eventually work with just absolutely hammered after a night shift at like maybe 11 a.m in the morning <laughs> so wow. um, you know that the person that I was I continued to be that person that narcissist that um, uh, manipulator that destroyer in Kalgoorlie and um Wasted, yeah, like 300k on drugs, alcohol, all the things you do in Cal. Mm. Um, picked up a pretty like serious steroid addiction and just went down that path again. 
uh, met someone there, thought we fell in love, um, but really we were just two traumatized kids who were looking to fill each other's void. Um, and then, yeah, ended up moving from, from there to Perth and my partner at the time went through depression and um, was threatening to, to take her life unless I stopped working away. And I had no empathy or compassion then. And so I didn't, didn't stop. In fact, I increased my swing from five days away to four weeks away. Um, and she eventually did attempt and still no compassion, didn't stop, didn't even fly back. Um, and so that broke down and she stepped away, which I'm pretty glad she did because I'd still be that person and she probably wouldn't be here. Um, but that sort of sent me on a downward spiral, like realizing that having a partner to me was just a, a form of validation. Like whenever I felt like I wasn't enough, I could ask her, I could talk to her about it and she'd top me up and I could go and do my thing and be the narcissist that I was. And um, losing that, I I've, yeah, fell into a depressive funk and eventually got the tap on the shoulder at work because I become that guy who was kicking off trying to find all the problems <laughs> in the meetings and the pre-starts and, um, you know, yelling at the boys, throwing stuff at them. And you just become someone who wasn't, wasn't good to be around. So I got that tap on the shoulder, spiraled pretty hard. And then eventually um, after wasting all of my money and um, yeah, feeling like a burden, borrowing so much off my parents, uh, I attempted. And so um Within that, within that chaos, my my ex uh, told me she was pregnant, um, and same person didn't want to borrow it. Thought she was trying to do it to keep me. And you know, when I look back now, it's like, geez, how could you ever think someone would want to keep a, a guy like you? But that's that's the sort of person I was then, and I tried to force her into an abortion for however long I could and then tried to disconnect. And so when baby was born, I got to build a relationship with her, but at about three months, they, they moved over East just because of like Perth reminding her of me and mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, I could contact them and I guess uh, trigger, trigger all that emotion from the past, from all the, all the trauma that I'd caused her, all the pain that I'd caused her. So they moved and, you know, and that, that sort of aided in me having no real identity, not being in good shape anymore, not being FIFO because I was too embarrassed to go back, mm. um, not having any money and feeling like a burden. It sort of all compounded and led to that attempt. And I remember lying on the floor after it and, and thinking for the first time I was going to live for something other than myself, which, you know, it'd be in a pretty selfish existence. So to, to live for my daughter become the big thing. And I built myself up over the next two years, all the tools that I had, all the tools in my tool belt and um, went back to site. It's like, yes, I've got some debt. I'm going to pay it off, making more money than ever with the boys again, scaffing, um, living the dream as they'd say. And yeah, within, within a couple months had one of the boys take his life. And I remember all the boys trying to go on strike on site and then management being like, no, you have to work like um, no, no empathy, no compassion for grief at all. Mm. Um, 
and then some of the guys were in a, in a place of like saying he didn't deserve to live if he did that. And so for me as a closet attemptee, it was pretty hard. And I just ended up walking off site one day and crying to my superintendent, telling him if I went back to my room, I probably wouldn't be here the next day. Mm. Um, so he, full credit to him, he closed the door, gave me a cuddle and <laughs> put me on the next bus and flight. Um, but I guess from that, I never heard from that company again after they made sure I got on the flight. So it's like really mitigating the risk. And then I guess to compound it, one of, one of my best friends up there took his, took his life not too long after I got evacuated. So that's, yeah. I guess that's why I'm, no, not I guess, that is why I'm passionate about FIFA. That's, that's why I'm, I'm very grateful to be partnered with Happiness Co. in FIFO Happiness. Um, and to be doing what we're doing and mm. you know from from there from being evacuated I recorded this podcast my story what I'm telling you now <laughs> obviously I didn't have an understanding or awareness around it or the capacity to feel the emotion within it but um, I was recording this podcast and I was so embarrassed about my voice that anytime someone would come back in the room next to me uh, to their donga I'd stop recording and um, just sit there sit there and wait until they went back to the the dining hall the dry mess or you know the wet mess or the gym and it took me about five weeks to record this 20 minute podcast uh, and when I got evacuated I finally got the push and the shove to launch it and so that that ended up going top 10 in mental health in Australia and New Zealand and which led to a lot of different opportunities to speak at mining companies and and work with them um, to contract to some of the bigger companies and then 2019 created the FIFO Mental Health Summit, which was the first, the first sort of event of its kind for FIFO Mental Health. Um, partnered with Happiness Co. We went on tour last year, so a FIFO tour. Drove like 6,000 k's around WA, around all the sites, um, and then yeah, this year we're in the process of creating our own EAP service with a clinical partner, and we just mm -hmm. set up. Uh, association for mental health and mining with uh, a dear friend of mine from mental health foundation australia wow wow such a journey and um okay thank you so much for your vulnerability you've um you've it sounds like you've gathered the language and the emotional connection over the years to really firstly take responsibility for a lot of the um emotional trauma that you created for other people um, and it sounds like as well recognized the damage that you were doing to yourself yeah yeah well I think for a lot of people in my position it takes hurting other people to realize that you're also hurting yourself and so you know I, I hurt so many people along my path and I had so many people um who were unhappy with me or held resentment towards me. And at some point you have to look at yourself and say, why, why is that happening? Mm. You know, and I guess mm. lucky for me, I, I got a second chance. A lot of people, when, when they do attempt, they, you know, it's final. And mm. I'm very, I feel very, very blessed that, that I got a second chance. Yeah, absolutely. We were talking, um, you know, we've sadly we're talking about men's health all of this week, um, 
male suicide is is top of many of those conversations. Um, certainly, we started the week with with Damien Christoph, who um, alerted us to the statistics around um, male suicide and successful attempts at suicide. Um, that you know there are eight attempts, uh, sorry, eight successful suicides a day, and six of those eight are men in Australia, and that is a that is a horrible statistic. And I wonder, you know, in mining, um, so FIFO, for anyone who's not familiar, is fly in, fly out. Um, pretty sure that, that we've covered that. But um, it, is a, it is a very tough environment. It's a very unusual situation where you're not only working long hours, working physically hard um, in many cases, you're also living with the people you work with you're located in a, a, a tough environment you're sleeping there you're eating there you're you know a lot of the control in in life is taken away from you it's provided for you and I've, I've been to a few sites where there's great facilities there's you know good food provided gyms and recreation and all that sort of thing but it's still, it's not your home, you know, you're still living in this place with the people that you work with who you might not normally choose, I suppose, to, you know, be around. It's not your family, it's not your buddies. And, you know, I know lots of, you know, really great friendships come from those working environments, but it's still hard work. And I wonder um, in terms of the, the suicide statistics and the, the mental health statistics, um, what is that like in the FIFO environment compared to the general um, demographic? Do you, do you have a, a handle yeah. on that? So we, we don't know what the, the statistics are around uh, suicide because obviously, you know, with, with any big mining company to have a suicide particularly tied to their team or their workforce is a big no-no so generally when something like that happens within a site and I was speaking to someone yesterday who actually was speaking into um, one of their team members taking their life and they actually weren't allowed to speak about it yeah. um, on site so you know they had people come up to, to help them but amongst themselves they weren't allowed to speak about it at all. So it was really like complete suppression of that, that grief and that sadness and sorrow. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if we'll ever get true unfiltered statistics around that, but at the moment, um, based off of Dr. Bauer's work in 2018, I think in September, 2018, she released her, her report around FIFO um, and psychological distress. Uh, FIFO workers are, I think it was three times as likely to suffer from high psychological distress against general population. And when you consider general population as um, eight suicides a day, that's a pretty big, mm. pretty big jump. Yeah. But yeah. Eight suicides a day. Yeah. 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 That's huge. And, um, you know, the, the FIFO environment is very much a male dominated environment there's certainly a lot of women um, and certainly some of my clients are, are women that um, work in FIFO um, train drivers and, and whatnot and uh, yeah plenty of guys as well so what are, what are the some of the unique mental health stresses what are some of the things that people are particularly stressed by in that environment I think in in her report she she details quite a few of them but most of them were you know, the big ones were relationships. Yeah. Um, 
finances. Uh, obviously, I think finances is the biggest, um, or financial stress is the biggest, uh, suicide is the biggest killer of men under 45 in Australia, but um, financial strain is the biggest contributor to that. Mm. And then, you know, that, that definitely plays out in FIFO as well. Just a lot of men who have gone from a place of probably not making too much money beforehand. You know, speaking into my own experience, that's definitely the case. You can go in with very little qualification, get a high paying job. And then, you know, if you have poor money habits or you've been conditioned from young to believe money is evil or you have this negative relationship with it it's very easy to spend it find yourself in financial stress or distress and um, not have the courage or the vulnerability to to speak about that which you know just compounds over time and so financial stress and then relationships um, being able to communicate I think that's a that's a really big one I actually spoke to someone on Sunday who come to a presentation I did on, on authenticity um, and he's just started working FIFO and going through this, this strain it has on his relationship where he's going away for two weeks. Um, he's in an environment that he doesn't particularly enjoy with people he doesn't particularly enjoy being with. Um, you know, where banter becomes almost this like um, this battleground where everyone wants to get so personal that they trigger people into blowing up and it's mm. like, yes, I've won. Mm. And so going from that place and, you know, coming home where your partner and the kids all have this routine and all of a sudden you're this guy who's going from guy or girl who's going from an environment you don't particularly enjoy that causes you a lot of stress. You're coming home and then at home you're getting in the way because you're breaking up the routine and then as well as like having expectation to look after the kids without understanding how to reintegrate, how to disconnect, how to release some of the stress that you've built up probably from, you know, not, not speaking up too much at work. Mm. That's, that's a really big one. And having that open, healthy, respectful and loving communication with a partner, especially to have hard conversations because I really do believe hard conversation equals easy life. Easy conversation equals a hard life mm. to have the courage and the capacity to have those hard conversations and resolve conflict before it becomes conflict is, is so integral, but mm. you know, that takes, that takes from a man's perspective, really taking responsibility for the way that you show up. Like, are you, yeah, are you really yeah. leaning into those king and warrior archetypes, or you know, are you are you staying in the shadow and keeping yourself in this comfort bubble, this this bubble wrap that doesn't really keep you safe? It's um, yeah, just causing causing you more distress. Yeah, you um, you said something there that I just I I have to repeat. It was awesome that having the hard conversations leads to an easy life. Keeping conversations easy leads to a hard life. That is, that's relationship gold. I think, you know, we can all take that into our relationships regardless of our working environment. But I imagine particularly in FIFO, relationships must be um, really difficult because like you say, you're, you're away for a lot of the time, you're, your family whilst you're away, establish their own routine. And then when you come back, which is your big relief to be away from that stressful working place, then you're sort of in this place where you're 
tripping people up, they're getting under their feet, you're, you know, almost in the way and, and breaking up their routine, which must feel really difficult as well. So being able to talk about that openly and almost have a period of, um, you know, getting, getting, I guess, uh, debrief, sort of getting out the, of your system, the fact that you've been away all that time and almost coming down to earth again to be at home, um, that transition time must be quite hard. Yeah, I think um, in what I said to that guy on Sunday, and it rings true for most people, is you really have to have a conversation. Well, first you need to identify for yourself and ask your partner to, to identify for themselves what your needs are, your specific needs. So um, specifically, like broken into two chunks, what are my needs when I'm away at work and you're at home? Like what are my needs? How often do I need to speak to you? Um, what are the expectations there? And then when I come home, what are my needs then? Maybe it means like my partner does. She picks me up from the airport when I come home and she knows that I'm not going to look after the kids that first night because I'm probably going to decompress, mm -hmm. do anger release, do tremor release, do whatever I can to ground myself back into being home and to release as much emotional stress as I can so that I can be a man, a father and a partner who can show up grounded and aligned and centered and not bring whatever was on site home with me and project that onto my family. So it's really, yeah, identifying your needs in those two chunks, those two environments, um, and then having a, a conversation around that and then coming to some sort of agreement. Because when you come to an agreement with your partner and you agree to it, you give her permission to call you out on, on the ways that you're not showing up powerfully, um, then all of a sudden it's it's like, oh shit, I've actually given you permission to do that. I probably need to look at that rather than getting defensive. Mm, love that. So you talk about the king or warrior archetype. Um, and I certainly have a mental image of what the um, characteristics and attributes of that archetype would be. Um, I wonder if you can share with us, because I, I'm assuming that adopting that sort of archetype is one of the strengths that you're um, really hoping that guys can lean on. And, and is that sort of one of the tools that you teach? Yeah, well, I think it's a, it's a really easy way for guys, especially guys who are visual to um, visualize themselves in the, the position of the king. And when we're talking about the king, it's someone who lead someone who comes from a place of authenticity who's decisive who makes decisions but um, who also shows up from like love compassion empathy for his kingdom and that kingdom being um, the people that you surround yourself with your partner your kids and whoever's in that that circle right so it'd just be those those behaviors showing up getting things done that need to be done not being lazy like showing up powerfully for your partner like helping, helping her out and making sure that um, you're treating everyone within the kingdom with respect. And then the warrior, uh, and this is a big one for FIFO, the warrior, um, I guess the best way to put it is to think about a samurai. The samurai has, has the sword all the time, right? He has his sword, but he knows the extent to which he has to use it to nullify the threat. And so... I guess that's the way we look at the warrior within FIFO is um, your words are your sword as the samurai. And so you have to understand how to communicate well 
how to communicate just the extent with which you're going to nullify the threat or resolve the conflict, not going too far, whereas you hurt someone's feelings emotionally or, and, and cause disruption or distress and not uh, have the easy conversation because the easy conversation is a people-pleasing conversation, not to say too little that you don't honor yourself. So really standing in that warrior, standing for yourself, but also not being destructive. Um, that's the way I'd put that within FIFO. Yeah, I love that. It feels to me like um, the things you're encouraging men to do is to have conversations and to start from a place of um, ownership and, you know, taking personal responsibility for your words, for your actions, for communicating with strength but not force and yep. sharing what your needs are um, because that's really crucial, isn't it? And, and all, underpinning all of that is a, um, a, a, an emotion of empathy and compassion and a knowing that others receive respect and deserve respect. Yeah, and I think with the net you've got to identify what your values are, right? Because if you don't know what your your personal values are, then how can you how can you show up from a place that's in alignment? If you don't know what your values are, you're always going to be searching for the behaviors that feel right. And if you don't know how to feel into your body and feel emotion, how are you ever going to know that? So you've got to identify what your values are. And it's it's not based on the way that you're showing up on at the moment. It's based on ideally how would you like to show up in your life, whether that's at home, whether that's at work. And, um, you know, I guess a personal constitution, what are those four values? What are the behaviors attributed to those values? Um, and then from there, you're very clear on it. You understand where you're going to be crossing your own boundaries. And then all of a sudden people know, you know, when other people are crossing your boundaries, so you can stand in that warrior and communicate those boundaries mm. based off of actually having identified it. Cause that's, it's one of the big issues around communication is a lot of men particularly get upset with people crossing their boundaries, but they don't even know what their own boundaries are. Mm. So, you know, they're, they're becoming resentful and frustrated with people for behaving a certain way towards them. But it's like, well, you haven't taken the time to identify what those boundaries are and communicate them. So mm. if you don't know, how can other people know how to show up for you? Yeah, yeah. How can I know I've crossed a boundary if you're not clear on what it is for yourself and you're not yeah. telling me what that boundary <laughs> is? Yeah, totally. Got that. Um, and I guess the, the easy one with that, the easy example of that is like the typical, the stereotypical mother-in-law, right? <laughs> Who, who's coming too much into the fold, who has too much of an opinion. Yeah. And if you're not willing to communicate that and she keeps doing it, you can't hold resentment or frustration because... Um, you haven't actually communicated. You haven't actually stood for yourself and had the like quote unquote hard conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that is definitely a stereotype. There are some great mother-in-laws out there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's sometimes good to talk in metaphors, though. Uh, so, um, so Lockie, um, what are some of the? Um, I guess do you have any simple solutions that you teach people? You mentioned there. Um, a little bit about understanding emotions and how they sit in the body. Um, I know that that's something that I've worked with in the past with, with coaching clients. Is that an area that you work with for people? 
for emotion in the body? Yeah, to sort of understand how emotion, um, different emotions show up and, and physically the connection that you might have with them. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, not not too much in the sense of, I guess, traditional Chinese medicine in terms of emotion being linked to particular places in the body. It's more a case of like how getting having someone build or cultivate their capacity to actually be in their body, to disconnect from a level of the mind, be in the body and feel. Because yeah, I believe you can't you can't experience emotion in in the mind. You have to be in the body to experience it there. Mm. And so um, I guess with that, the, the real easy practice for me when I'm teaching someone how to do it, and it's, it's changed my life in the way that I, um, the way that I confront or manage situations of, of high distress, high psychological distress is to just sit down start breathing and then maybe do six breaths and drop in what's if I'm thinking about that situation that causes me a lot of stress right now obviously the one that's, that's most visceral whatever comes up with my eyes closed whatever comes up okay cool I've got that moment it's causing me a lot of stress three more breaths um, okay what's that sensation in the body and where is it constriction in the chest is there heat in the chest is my neck type and it's, you're just finding these different sensations and describing them just to get used to, to feeling what what your body feels like and what these sensations feel like and what they may represent and so from there it's three more breaths if if you were to breathe into that constriction and that heat in the chest the tension in the neck maybe maybe tension in the jaw if you were to breathe into all of that and you were to label that with an emotion what would that emotion be and for me, I guess, speaking into public speaking, which I used to have, uh, 